Welcome back to Distorted Footprints, a critical refugee studies podcast. This is Min Lau, Stephen Tran, Jenny Liu, and Brian Huyen. Our podcast is named Forgotten Narratives, Collective Memories, and the Vietnam War. In the last episode, we learned about Hmong storytelling and identities past nation-state borders, which connects to our topic and brings us to this episode, where we will be discussing the Vietnam War and its forgotten narratives. Specifically, we will be looking into cultural memories of the Vietnam War and disparate narratives of it. Because collective cultural memories differ across the Vietnamese diaspora and across transnational boundaries, we will explore multiple counter-narratives of the Vietnam War and their meaning to refugees, rather than a unified counter-narrative, which would erase some subjective refugee experiences. Yeah, some examples of counter-narratives we will be exploring are those of Vietnamese refugee women, the depiction of the Vietnam War in Vietnamese film, and public consciousness, how the war is commemorated, and a conversation with Mr. Huynh, someone who has personally experienced the Vietnam War. But before we dive into these perspectives, let's define cultural and collective memories. Cultural memory is defined by Alita Asman as a system of values, artifacts, institutions, and practices that retain the past for the present and the future. As a result, it transfers knowledge and supports the emergence and elaboration of distinct identities because humans define themselves and are defined by their affiliation to one or various cultural groups and traditions. According to Ironman et al., collective memory references the selective and cumulative process through which collectives, from groups to nations, make use and meaningful sense of the past. In other words, collective memories define how groups of people view the past. Their perspective on the past will then determine how they apply that memory in different areas, such as popular media and education. So how do cultural and collective memories factor into the Vietnam War? In regards to the Vietnam War, collective memory involves cultural memories of the war within the U.S. and Vietnam, but the American narrative has come to be dominant and it really doesn't acknowledge the negative aspects of American involvement. The U.S. has reframed their war efforts in Vietnam to be morally just in order to sustain its own global status. What are some examples that demonstrate this reframing? Well, with initiatives such as the Refugee Act of 1980 and Operation Babylift, the U.S. attempted to create a savior narrative while disregarding the trauma and cultural suffocation inflicted upon those displaced from the warfare, Vietnamese individuals. Moreover, these initiatives halted after aiding displacement and transportation. Those who were welcome into the U.S. lacked the resources to assimilate, so consequently analyzing disparate cultural memories and transnational alternate narratives of the Vietnam War in conjunction with the effects of the war on the Vietnamese diaspora will challenge predominant public perspectives that portray Americans as the saviors. This critical reframing is a key aspect of critical refugee studies framework. I see. Well, let's begin by discussing the dominant collective and cultural narratives surrounding the Vietnam War. From the general public's perspective in the U.S., there's a strong narrative that Vietnamese refugees should be grateful for being able to migrate to America. This common theme is most often perpetuated through mainstream media and academia. Forgotten Memories, Reconstructing the Vietnam War in Films by Chuck Ngo explores the formation of mainstream U.S. and alternative Vietnamese memories of the war and addresses the skewed emphasis on U.S. perspectives. She does so by identifying similarities and trends within both American and Vietnamese films. Collectively, she provides evidence for the film industry's strong influence on the collective memory of the Vietnam War and the way that Hollywood has used its influence to spread U.S. propaganda about the war. Yeah, 
Ngo theorizes that Hollywood's authority and power as one of the biggest industries producing war narratives has allowed it to shape understanding of the war globally. So are you saying there's a transnational element to the war? Yep. The American collective memory of the war is transnational in nature. Hollywood film productions surrounding the Vietnam War and its worldwide distribution have artificially shaped collective memory of If that's the case, what's an example of an American film that shapes collective memory? The film Good Morning, Vietnam, which was directed by Barry Levinson, set in Saigon in 1965 and released in 1987, revolves around an American radio DJ in the armed forces radio service named Adrian Kroner, whose broadcast is forbidden to discuss war-related news. According to the movie, Kroner was unable to discuss political or social issues, meaning that American soldiers were largely unaware about the political and social context surrounding the war within Vietnam. How do Vietnamese films compare to these Hollywood narratives? Well, Vietnamese films in the 21st century have increasingly emphasized the bravery of the Vietnamese people and American violence against them, which American films did not. These films are then able to reposition both Vietnamese and American actors in the context of the war in collective memory and return some agency to the Vietnamese diaspora affected by the war. An example is The Letter Way, which was directed by Lu Ha and released in 2005. The film is about Tan and An, who are two messenger soldiers who are ordered to deliver an important letter to the middle of the battlefield. As Tan and An embark on their journey, the audience is shown how inexperienced and undisciplined they are, as well as their strong yearning for home and their respective partners. That film seems to really humanize the Vietnamese soldiers and depict their emotions and feelings instead of portraying them as a unit or a collective. That definitely subverts the dominant American collective memory of the war, where Vietnamese soldiers were viewed as just bodies and enemies to kill. Yep. Also, the act of delivering the letter through such danger highlights the soldiers' strength to fight and their determination to stay alive so that they could reunite with their families, as per Ngo. This familial aspect and strength is often forgotten by American films. Another interesting tidbit is that much of the footage from the film was filmed along the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which is infamous for its role as military supply route and the booby traps, which are scattered along its length. The trail's strategic location meant that both sides fought for control, yet the violent offenses that the Americans used against the Vietnamese are often forgotten by American historical accounts. Speaking of alternative Vietnamese narratives, let's investigate one that's often ignored, the narratives of the Vietnamese refugee women. Along with the dominant narrative of Vietnamese refugees being saved from an inhabitable communist country, mainstream media and academia also strongly focused on the stories of Vietnamese refugee men, leaving the cultural memories of Vietnamese refugee women virtually unexplored. That's true, though it is much harder to gain access to these cultural memories from an academic standpoint, since many Vietnamese refugee women tend to come from a lower level of education and feel uncomfortable with bringing their personal lives into the public. Yeah, a lot of the erasure of Vietnamese women's wartime and post-war experiences can be partially attributed to certain cultural differences as well as many women's preference for privacy. It should also be taken into account that many refugee women are also traumatized by events that occurred during their trip to seek asylum, since travel over the ocean often results in encounters with pirates. Many refugee women have watched family members pass away during their journey, experienced forms of sexual assault, or experienced domestic violence. And many times they don't feel comfortable talking about these experiences due to their cultural expectations and the way that they were raised in Vietnam. 
It's totally understandable that many refugee women don't want to share their stories due to their personal boundaries and interests, but I think it's also important to emphasize that despite the lack of literature on the development of identity of Vietnamese refugee women, their experiences are unique and valuable resources to draw upon, and we need to amplify the voices of those who are willing to share their stories. So what's an interesting narrative that we don't often hear about? Well, the collective memories of Vietnamese refugee women definitely challenge the stereotype of the weak and helpless refugee. For instance, there are stories of Vietnamese refugee women acting in the role of a pitiable refugee to white Americans, as they quickly became aware of their position in the United States. These women cleverly spun that tale in order to have potential sponsors sympathize with them and help their families. Also, people tend to forget that Vietnamese women quite literally fought alongside their countrymen during the Vietnam War, and that they are not just victims that need to be saved. Wow, that's really interesting. I guess we really do need to explore more counter-narratives in order to gain a fuller understanding of historical events. What other counter-narratives are there for us to learn about today? What a great question. Why don't we listen to the story of someone who has personally experienced the Vietnam War? Take it away, Brian. So today I'm joined by Mr. Ha Huynh. So Mr. Huynh, can you please tell me where are you from in Vietnam and what year did you move to the U.S.? I was born in Da Nang, and during the the war, the war time in Vietnam, uh, because of my dad, he's in the South Vietnamese military against with the communists. Uh, they keep moving him around the South Vietnam. So in twelve years, I. I'm in school, but I have nine different schools, so I have to move around with him. So, like uh, mostly, a lot of city around South Vietnam. So I saw a lot during the war. All right. And then after the Saigon Fall, nineteen seventy-five, um, I stay. In Hue, the city in the middle of, in the center of Vietnam, and after that, I end up in Saigon, and I left Vietnam from Saigon to United States on 1993. When asked about his experience moving to the U.S. as a result of the Vietnam War, Mr. Huyn elaborates on the cultural shock he encountered. The experience. To come to United States is like uh, a new life. The first couple year I was in United States, the first city I came was uh, San Diego. And when I came to United States, and I was, I feel, I felt was uh, a three years old boy. I have to learn a lot, to learn the language, to learn how to use the telephone, to learn how to use the microwave, and to learn how to like switch the channel from TV. And a lot, like a, a little boy stuck living in United States. Our conversation segued into discussing how an accurate narrative of the Vietnam War can be composed. Mr. Huynh illustrates the complexity of the narrative itself. It's like a million pieces 
a puzzle picture. So none of Vietnamese in Vietnam know the whole thing about Vietnam War. Some of them hold uh, like a, a thousand pieces. Some of them hold just one or two pieces. So they look at the Vietnam War in a different way, depend on how or where they were at that time. To me, I have more, I have an opportunity to, to go with my dad from city to city. So I saw a lot more than a lot of Vietnamese in South Vietnam at that time. I then asked what he believes is the most powerful medium for the U.S. to advance and reinforce its perspective of the war. Between news media, literature, or word of mouth, Mr. Quinn believes that movies are the most powerful medium of reinforcement. I then asked him to elaborate on a specific work that regards the event. The movie, they focusing mostly on American soldiers. All the movie I saw or documentary, even the one recently by Canberg or someone like that from KPBS, I didn't see the American filmmaker talking about my dad and my father's friend. They fight along with the American in, in, in South Vietnam. But those movie I saw, I feel like a, like a just American fight with the communists. The South Vietnamese soldier, they don't do that. They didn't do that. So it make me kind of frustrated. Yeah. So with the, with the documentary, uh, Recently by Ken Burns, I just watched until the third episode. And then I feel like, no, I cannot waste my time on this thing like that. Because uh, after three episodes, I still didn't see my father and his friend fighting with American in there. So that make me mad and I stopped watching it. Do you think there is a collective memory or general consensus of the Vietnam War within the United States? If so, why is it? And how? And how about the Vietnam War being discussed outside of the United States? I'm a manicurist and my shop, it was next to a bar. And next to the bar, a lot of veteran Vietnam War veteran there. And sometimes some men came from that bar and walked into the shop and asked me to shake their hands. And they say sorry that they went there to in the past and they destroy a lot of beautiful thing in South Vietnam. Yeah, and then I have a lot of customer, those lady, they, you, they are like a wife of those veterans. And they talk to me like, uh, 
they don't feel proud to to have their husband in the war in Vietnam. Um, and and they said that their husband, they don't want to talk about it anymore. And if I ask them about how your husband uh, feel after the war or thing like that, and they always said, uh, my husband, they didn't want to talk about that. So they don't feel proud what they did in Vietnam. I think so. And, and a lot of customer, they came and they asked me about the Vietnam war and they know very little very little about Vietnam War. And mostly the the Vietnam War they look through the from the movie from Hollywood movie. So that's why the Hollywood movie make make American look at the history of Vietnam War in a very wrong direction. That's what I thought. When asked about if there is a specific way that the Vietnamese community in the United States remembers or views the Vietnam War, Mr. Huynh elaborates on the polarized perspectives between generations. Vietnamese community, they, they now they divide it in like a two in generation. The, the elderly generation, they used to be in the war, they used to be the soldier of South Vietnam Army, and they used to be a, a prisoner of the of the name, like a, a re-education camp of the communists for years in there. And the life in the re-education camp is worse than the animal in there. So that's why they never forget those bad and difficult days. So they never, never forget. And I thought they never forgive that too. With the younger generation, like my generation or your generation, we look at the war and the, in Vietnam is more, less severe than, than what the, the elder, elderly generation look at that. So, so the Vietnamese community, now they divided into those groups like that to when they think about Vietnam War. From Mr. Huynh's experiences concerning how the Vietnam War is discussed, remembered, and tackled in the U.S. national narrative, we become more aware that the Vietnamese diaspora and other displaced communities as a result of the war are utterly disregarded and used as an accessory purposed to enhance empathy and salvation on the U.S.'s behalf. Mr. Huynh's words underscores the reality of the war. His words also encourage us to critically look at the ways the U.S. displays and discusses their involvement in transnational disputes. Overall, his experiences do confirm that there is and has been a lack of awareness towards the tribulations that the Vietnamese diaspora encountered in the wake of warfare. When South Vietnamese refugees came to the U.S., they carried over the same political sentiment they had for South Vietnam. 
Their once independent state, now unified under a communist government, did not stop the refugees' resistance against it. Many of them still use certain names that no longer exist under the current Vietnam, such as calling the now Ho Chi Minh City Saigon, the name of the city before it got renamed, and the capital of South Vietnam. Would Little Saigon be an example? Exactly. Groups of Vietnamese people would make a Little Saigon if they had a population big enough to do so. There is no Little Ho Chi Minh City because of the South Vietnamese population that is in America and is used as a form of resistance. Saigon may not exist in Vietnam, but the city lives on through the refugees and the community it builds. Additionally, the usage of the South Vietnamese flag instead of the unified Vietnamese flag demonstrates their nationalism for their once independent state. This strong nationalism along with anti-communism beliefs aligns perfectly with the U.S. I find it interesting how I saw a handful of those at the January insurrection and throughout the various Trump rallies in the past. The reasoning behind that is because many South Vietnamese refugees have strong anti-communist views because they believe that it was the main reason why they were displaced from their homes. Being in America, their political alignment leans heavily toward the conservative side because the party is also anti-communist, which fits perfectly for the Vietnamese Americans. Donald Trump emphasized his stance as an anti-communist, and because of that, it garnered a lot of interest from the Vietnamese population in America. They did not want anyone remotely close to the left due to their past experiences escaping that government. Lisa, Nancy, and Phoebe will discuss this more in episode 6 of this season. This is just one view that many Vietnamese refugees have when they come to America and choose a political party based on their ideologies. It is important to understand why there is a community of Vietnamese Americans who align with the right and why they are so against the left. This points back to the main idea that there are different recollections of the Vietnam War. The dominant narratives of the Vietnam War, which we discussed earlier, is pretty invalidating to the experiences of refugees through denying American accountability in the war and depicting refugees as helpless people who were saved by the U.S. And so we really hope to be able to increase the visibility of counter-narratives and amplify these voices. The ability for these collective memories to transcend nation-state boundaries make them a powerful form of resistance to American-centric perspectives and is also a way for refugees to reclaim autonomy over the representation of their lived experiences. Exploring these counter-narratives also show how cultural memories are dynamic and continue to evolve, so it's definitely important to keep the conversation going and to think about how dominant perspectives are shaped and who is being potentially hurt or overshadowed through that process. We would like to thank Mr. Hua Huynh for graciously allowing us to interview him. The sources that we use would be linked for those who are interested. Feel free to check them out if you are interested. We've learned a bit about counter-narratives of refugees affected by the Vietnam War, but what happens to refugees post-resettlement? On the next episode of Distorted Footprints, Catherine will be talking about refugee advocacy as well as deportation and interracial solidarity. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Bye! Bye.